Hey, my name is Doug. I get the great joy of being a pastor at a church, and I said this, uh, I think I wrote this down in my notes, at a friend, part of the friends and family plan of like uh, Resonate Church. Renovation Church, we're north of uh, the Brave Stadium. It's dope to be here. I'm so glad I get to be here, partly because this is like almost home. I grew up like 10, 15 miles that way, and so like I was driving through and I was like, oh, I remember that joint. Oh, I did things I can't talk about there. Oh, I'm so glad my kids aren't with me because they would ask questions about that. That's not a good thing. Oh, Lord. But yeah. So it's really good to come home. I love this part of town. Um, I swore I would never live where I live, which is in Cobb County now. And look at the Lord's sense of humor. Look at that. Uh, but I do, I am really happy to be here uh, for a lot of reasons. But today, uh, we get, I get the great joy of digging into a topic with you that... Uh, I love to talk about, but it's actually kind of gone out of fashion within the Christian conversation because of the different cultural context that we live in that we probably didn't grow up in. And it's the idea of evangelism. And if you're new to the faith or not a Christian at all, what that word means is sharing your faith with someone in hopes that they share your faith, right? Uh, And so I wanna kind of dig into that today and wrestle with some questions around it because I firmly believe coming out of the pandemic that we live in an opportunity right now where people are looking for hope and it's our great joy and gift to bring it to them because we've met the author of all peace and hope. Can I get an amen? Amen. I'm going to do that a lot because I grew up Pentecostal, so just, just get warm with that idea of responding back to me. Sound good? Before we do that, though, I'd like to pray. Is that okay? All right, here we go. Uh, Holy Spirit, God, we come to you, anytime we come to you, first thing we do is gratitude. Thank you for meeting us here this morning. Man, um, God, I I guess I'm just so grateful that anytime your people get together in your name and lift up King Jesus, you meet them there. And and I never want that to get old in in my soul, that the God of the heavens meets his people when they lift up King Jesus. And so I'm so grateful that you've done that for us today. But I pray right now is that we dig into your word as we wrestle with probably what are gonna be some hard questions, that you meet us with peace and love, that you let us remember that your grace knows no ends, that your love is beyond measure, and that your kindness is what woos us back to you. We ask these things in the name of the risen King Jesus and all the people of God said, amen. Amen. All right, so here's kind of how I want to start. It's a belief that I have that I believe about you, okay? And I don't know you, and so I'm about to take a risk here, and so we're going to, it just is what it is. Uh, I think and I believe that if you're a Christian, you want to lead people to Jesus, I fundamentally believe that about every Christian that I know for a couple of reasons. One, um, I have a deep sense of the Spirit of God living inside of you, that he's actually animating you, moving you, reconciling you to himself, working on your weak places and hard places to form into the greater image of Jesus. And so I believe that's happening in your life. And then also people do studies and find out it to be true as well, so there's that. Uh, So there was a recent study done in 2021 uh, that said that 72% of American Christians say they want, that's the really important piece there, want 
to share their faith with others. That's really good news. That's seven out of 10 of you. The other three out of 10 of you, we can have a conversation later, but seven out of 10 of you, right, uh, want to lead someone to Jesus. And even, uh, and this is natural, right, because this is actually part of our faith. Like the, one of the last things Jesus said before he left was go into all the world and make disciples. Not, not, not be disciples, right, but make them. So the act of sharing our faith, of, of proclaiming the good news, the hope of Jesus, is just kind of fundamental to practicing the way of Jesus. But despite the want to, despite what we know to be true about our calling and about our discipleship and practicing the way of Jesus, we all feel a, a distinct problem right now. Um, and the best way I put it is this, like, the context we currently live in, if you're older than 35, is not the context you grew up in, is it? Like, we grew up in where American Christianity had, at minimum, like a privileged position in the context, in the culture, right? And now, it just kind of feels like people would prefer we not, right? Or if you do, keep it in your bathroom. Like that's where your Christianity needs to play itself out, is by yourself somewhere else, not into the public sphere. Like I, I would say it this way, right? The, we live in a, in a pluralistic context that is, depending on where you live, mildly to aggressively antagonistic towards sharing our faith, right? That's just kind of how we feel this all the time. I have really good news in that, in that we've actually just kind of caught up to what our historical fathers lived in anyway. So we were like, the, the place we grew up in was like kind of a bubble to begin with, right? We're actually now more in line with our historical fathers and mothers in the faith. But in doing this and in feeling this, anytime we go to share our faith, there's, there's, because of our context, there's something that happens inside of us. We, we begin to get a little bit intimidated, and most likely, we, we begin to be a little bit afraid that whoever we share our faith with is going to reject us. And in different ways, right? It, it, it could be a relational rejection, like, oh, there are those people, I don't wanna to talk to them anymore. Maybe it's a promotion that we don't get because you know, the, our work doesn't wanna have that kind of uh, handle over it, that they have people who share their faith publicly on them. It's happened to a friend of mine. Whatever the thing is, there, there is this fear that seems to rise up in us whenever the moment or the thought of sharing our faith comes with someone. And I don't, not only know this experientially, I actually know this because also the data. Like That's the greatest fear that most Christians in our context have with sharing their faith. And look, I get this, man. Like, I know it sounds crazy because you're like, oh, the guy on the stage, he has no, he has no uh, problem at all sharing his faith. It's absolutely not true, okay? Let's be very, very clear. I feel the same fear that you do that if I take this step, this, this, this step of faith in this, they may just decide they don't want to talk to me anymore, right? And like, I remember like one of my most shameful moments in life is really wrapped up in that fear and when I punted on sharing the gospel. So uh, story time, a bit of, bit of transparency, a little vulnerability. Uh, so in the school that I grew up, that's not very far from here, um, it's a little private school. And when you grow up in a little private school, 
uh, everyone there is either a friend or an enemy. Like I graduated with 13 other people. There aren't benign relationships at that point, right? You either hate that person or you love them. So that's what it was. And so one of my friends comes to me or comes to our class and to his friends and he's got a visible sense of shame on him, like a visible sense of guilt. And he proceeds to tell his friends about some things that had gone on with his girlfriend. And it was causing him a deep sense of remorse and, and shame. And so I'm a pastor's kid. And he's coming to us, his collective friends, for comfort. And I can see the Jesus conversation coming. Because they're like, oh, everybody knows he's a pastor's kid. He knows the whole Bible. Let's ask him at 11 years old. Right? And I see it coming. And inevitably, I was right. And they get to me and they say, hey man, what do you think? What does Jesus think? And I, I, I punted hard, man. And like, I don't, I don't mean in like, oh, I just didn't talk about it. I said, oh, why are you asking me? I don't know anything. I punted in the worst way possible. Like, I think my ADHD got me and like my fear of rejection rose up really high. And instead of just giving a benign answer, which would have been better than what I did, I pull up all of the scriptures in my head that deal with condemnation and sin and proceed to recite them to him sarcastically. Yeah, that's me. And I will never forget the look in his eyes. Like, if I was to close my eyes right now, I could see his face. And the shame that he felt was now deeply on me. And not, like, not because I, like, I punted on talking about Jesus. Like, God's grace is never ending. He's, he forgave me the second it happened. Like, it wasn't that kind of thing. I was ashamed because a person that I cared about came to me looking for hope and kindness. And I know the author of hope and kindness. And I didn't give it to him. Like, that hurt. And I didn't know it at the time. But it would, it would fundamentally change me forever. It would. That moment would send me on a journey over many, many years of really addressing why I act this way. Why am I afraid? Why don't I trust in the Lord enough to deal with this? And on this journey, come to find out, which is probably a shock to no one but me at the time, the Bible actually answers all these things. Who knew, right? Preacher's kids don't know everything. Leave them alone, right? Um, Who knew that the Bible had all the answers to the questions of fear and about how to share your faith? Shocker, right? And so what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of go to a story in the life of Jesus. And it's, it's a quick story. And I just want to ask three questions that I think are fundamental to really addressing where that fear comes from and what to do about it. How, how should we respond to this deep desire we have to lead people to Jesus, but also the conflict and struggle of living in a pluralistic society that is anywhere from mildly to aggressively antagonistic towards sharing our faith. And so if you've got your Bibles, if you would, if you're okay with that, please go to Luke chapter five for me. We're going to be in verse 17. We're just going to read a few, just a quick story, and then just kind of dig into it for a second. How does that sound? I like y'all. This is going to be fun. Say, if you got it, say you got it. Got it? All right, here we go. Verse 17, Luke chapter 5. 
One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. Parenthetically, it seems that these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee and Judea, as well as Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strong with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to see Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crown. And so they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. They then lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd and right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Now, I want to share something with you. I did this at the 9 a.m. and I want to share it with you because I think it's funny. This is not important to the text we're going to talk about, but I love the Bible and I think it's funny. Did you notice the subtle shade that Luke was throwing at the Pharisees? Like, there's no reason for that parenthetical piece there other than he's annoyed. He's just like, they just keep showing up. Can't we do things without them, right? Not important for today. I just find it funny and joyful, and I thought I would share it with you. So uh, the first question I think we need to ask looking at this story is this. Do we actually believe that Jesus saves people? Now, I want to be really specific when I ask this question. Do we actually, at our core, believe that Jesus' love is loving enough, is powerful enough, is kind enough, that when someone meets him, no matter their circumstances or their story, he can save them? So let me frame it this way. Do we believe it like those dudes believed it? Like, think about being them, right? They hear that Jesus, their their local rock star, is out there healing people. And think about all of of the hurdles that are in their way to seeing their paralyzed friend be healed by Jesus, and nothing seems to be stopping them. And we know that their belief in the healing power of Jesus was driving them because of Jesus' response to them. Look at what Jesus says. He says, seeing there, so that there is not about, I accented that for our purposes, right? There, those men, faith, Jesus said to the man, the the paralyzed man, young man, your sins are forgiven. So I want to be clear about something. I've read a significant number of commentaries on this verse, and depending on the orthodox historical tradition they come from, they have a different point of view on what that means, okay? We're not getting into that because it's not that important. They all have one seeming consensus, though, that Jesus moved on the life of a man because of the faith of their friend. that the heart of God was moved to act because of the faith and action of that person's friends. Like, let's be really clear. We have no insight or indication into the spiritual state of the paralyzed man. The only thing we're given here is that those cats believed in the power of Jesus to heal so much that it moved the heart of Jesus to act. Like 
sit with that for a second. Like, and, as, and again, it's probably because I'm a pastor, right? Like when I thought about the implications of this, my mind went to the local church. Like, so, okay, as Christians, right, we believe that Jesus believes that we are his best answer for this world, right? That when he went into heaven, he said, it is better that I go and send you the Holy Spirit and that God's church is his answer to his mission to save the world in this here and now, right? The church is Jesus' best option, okay? We know that, we believe that. Do we actually believe that? Do we believe that the local church is the best option for what ails the people in our lives? For the, for the things that they wrestle with, for the hurt. Like let's take a, a dramatically mundane example that our Surgeon General just said is now an epidemic. Loneliness. Do we believe that the local church, that our church, that your church is God's best answer for the people who are lonely in our lives? And like you could take any, take a thing, whatever the thing is, right? We, we talk about addiction, mental health issues, right? Parenting problems. If you've got kids, you've got parenting problems. Whatever the thing is, do we feel this, this deeply that God brought, hit, made a church, a family from all peoples of the earth to be the place that would go through all the earth and to all the families of the earth. I can look, I, I, wanna, I wanna be really clear. I'm not saying that Jesus is the church. I'm just saying that is where he's predictably found. He likes being with his people. And so if that's the case, do we actually believe that the best thing we can do for people is to get them connected with God's people so they can meet Jesus and he will save them? Do we actually believe that Jesus saves people and that his people have a part to play in that? That's question number one. Question number two. And this is the hard one so it's okay, like I know that one sounded hard, this one's worse. And I can say this because I'm leaving and like y'all gotta, it's, I, gotta, I get to go home and it's fine. Do we actually love people? Like, do we love people the way we see in this particular story? Like I, one, of, one of the best things you can ever do, I think, when you read the Bible is read it with an imagination. Like these are real people. This is, this is not fiction. Like this happened in the life of Jesus. There were these cats somewhere in the Near East who did this thing. And so imagine being them. Like I, I, I wanna illustrate this because it, it's really funny to me. It, it's like, again, get an imagination. It's a lot of fun. So you hear that Jesus is healing people 
and you have a friend who is paralyzed, and so you put him in what essentially was a blanket, and you don't know how far they carried him, we don't have that, at some undetermined distance, and they get there, and it's like the outside of a Taylor Swift concert, just chaos. No one can get in anymore because they don't have tickets, right? And we would think that'd be the end of it. Well, we tried. Dang. Well, sorry, buddy. But not them. What do they do? They go on top of another man's house and start ripping up the roof. That is disrespectful. That is, I'm sorry, don't do that, right? And like imagine, this is my favorite part, imagine being Jesus in the scene. You're there, you're in this crowded space, you're teaching, loving on people, showing them kindness, and all of the sudden, because it would not have been a quiet situation, you hear the scraping of a roof tile coming open. Like, it, it, like it just, it's this perfect comedic scene. And like, it would of course shut down the party. You're like, what is happening? And then a beam of light shines in, and everyone's just looking like, is that supposed to happen? And a man drops down in front of Jesus. And they go through all that. So here's my question. What would the motivation of what the four men would have been? It could have either been, in my opinion, that they just wanted to see Jesus heal someone so badly that they found a random paralyzed man that they did not know so they could watch Jesus heal someone voyeuristically. Or and this is my particular belief, they knew him and loved him. This was not someone just random to them. They knew him and they loved him because if you look at the, their refusal to be stopped by circumstances, there had to have been some level of connectivity there. I think they knew him and they loved him. And so I, I think... My question is, do we love people like that? And I want to be specific too. Do we love people who don't know God that way? That's the hard one, right? And I get it, this is not any level of condemnation because the natural, the natural pull of life is towards people like you. That's just, it's a beautiful thing. That's not even bad. Like the people of God are a gift to the people of God, right? That's a gift that we all have. But there's this sense that as we read through the scriptures that as God was building up this glorious community for the sake of love and kindness that we were to be the most outward facing community around. That we were to welcome and invite and bring people in who are nothing like us because we know of the love that exists among the people of God. Like, and if I'm being honest, like, as I really reflected on this, even in my own heart, like, this is the one I think that prevents us most from sharing our faith with other people. It's not that we don't believe Jesus can heal, because, or sorry, Jesus can save because we're all saved. <laughs> like, we know it can happen. We know us, right? We know what Jesus can do. It, it's that we probably don't have in our lives people who don't love Jesus, who when they hurt, we hurt. When they suffer, we suffer. When they rejoice, we rejoice. And again, I, I wanna be very clear, I get the tension in that. 
There is a tension with every single relationship I have that isn't a follower of Jesus. It just is. Like I have to guard some of the things, the advice that they give me. I'm like, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but is that aligned with, I get the tension in everything. But as followers of the way of Jesus, as practicers of the way of Jesus, I think we're supposed to live there. And, and this is what I love about this. I think once we get here, right, that most of the time this will handle the fear of rejection because the Bible tells us in 1 John 4.18 that love has no fear because perfect love expels, casts out, destroys all fear. Love destroys fear. And I, and, and I've, if I'm being honest, man, I think that's where most of us, myself included, where we struggle the most is that we haven't postured our lives to love people who are far from God in that way. And so the question is, where or do we love people like that, specifically those who are far from God? Third question, in reflection on this text. Are our eyes opened to where God is at work around us, specifically? So I, I chose this text in Luke because it has a line in there that Matthew and Mark don't, because you can go read about it in there, that I find really, really fascinating. And it's the one where it says, the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. So as Christians, we believe that Jesus is God among us, that as Colossians says, he is the agent of all creation, right? That the healing creative force of God was always with him. Like it was never not there, right? That Jesus is God and he always had healing power with him. But Luke goes out of his way to say, hey, the healing power was strong with Jesus at that time. What does that mean really? Because if you're at maxed out, I don't know how you go any further up, right? He is God. I think what it does is that it gives us kind of this sense of like a moment in time, right? That Jesus was at work at a specific way then, right? That it, it gives us this sense that right now, in this moment, Jesus was healing all kind of people that the healing power of God was flowing mightily through Jesus in all the spaces that we, he went. Jesus was healing people then. And if you look at the posture of the friends, they seem to be aware of that. They're like, we've gotta get there now. Don't care that I can't get in, I will give property damage and vandalism to get my friend to Jesus. And so the question for us is, where is God at work around us? And I want to say this, it's something I've realized over the years. Like when it comes to sharing our faith or, or presenting the gospel, talking about Jesus, like we're never first, like God is at work when, it shocked me too, God is at work when we're not present. I know, right? It just, I was so upset about it. I was like, why can't, why can't it just be me, right? God is at work when we're not present. He's, like if you go read stories of like missionaries 
who are going to places that have never heard the gospel before, time and time again, you hear the story of like, oh, we knew you were coming. I'm sorry? Who told it? Well, I had a vision of a man who said you would be coming and tell me about him, so go ahead. Would you share it with me now? It's, go, go read this. It's wild. It will expand your faith like crazy. We're never first. God is always at work. He's always wooing people to himself. I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we aware of that? And like, I want to give you a really normal, everyday, mundane, radically boring example, okay? Here we go. Most of us are going to go to work today, tomorrow, whenever you go to work. And you're going to have a conversation with your coworkers. And inevitably, you're going to have a conversation that isn't about work because people don't talk about work at work. And I understand that. We don't want to talk about work at work. Makes total sense to me. And the conversation of the weekend's coming up. And it probably goes like this. It goes like this for me. What you do this weekend? Or what are you doing this weekend? One or the other. And you have probably heard what I've heard. Oh, I don't know, man. Like, um, just, you know, Netflix and red wine or barbecue and stout beer, whatever works for you, right? And so what will happen from that is that then you'll go to church and your pastors and leaders will say, hey, and you'll have some sort of community-based event, be they small groups, cookouts, whatever it is. And they'll say, hey, this is a great opportunity to invite people to the community who are looking for community, who perhaps are suffering with loneliness. It's a great opportunity to introduce them to the kindness and love of the people of God. And you'll do what I do. And you'll think, yeah, but I don't know anybody looking for community. Except our coworkers just told us that they're alone every weekend. Like, why do we think that people share information with us? Like, people tell people stuff for a reason. I, I think it's more of a, we're looking for some sort of miraculous, like, floating dove from heaven, audible voice from God situation. In reality, it's just right there in the normal and the mundane that we have people in our lives who are desperate for the things that the kingdom of God offers, we're just not aware of it. And, and so I, I guess my, my, my question would be is that where in our lives, if we were to really sit down and look at it, where in our lives do we see opportunities like this? Like I wanna give you one, man. Like this is something that it just, it's real to me every single day, more and more and more. Since COVID, people are in pain, man. Well, I have to say people, I'm in pain. Like the world is, it feels hopeless so often. And we're in conversation after conversation about how people just feel hopeless. They feel alone. They feel these different ways. Those are amazing opportunities to see where God is at work in the here and now. We just have to be aware. We have to be looking for the, the miraculous in the mundane. Where is it God work in your life? Where is he at work in my life? And are our eyes open to that goodness that is around us, to those opportunities that are tailor-made for you and I? So as we wrap up, let, let's, I want to review the three questions and I want to ask you something, okay? So one is this. Do we actually believe that Jesus saves people and we have a part to play in that? Two, 
do we love people who are far from God? And then three, are we aware of all the places that God is already at work? And with that in our hearts, here's what I wanna do. I wanna, I, I, I'm supposed to invite, that's what they tell you to do in like speaking, I want to challenge. Is that okay, can I just challenge you in a certain way, is that all right? I wanna challenge you to do one thing this week. I want you to invite one person to church with you. you you're, you're a part of a great church, like just, this is low-hanging fruit. If nothing else, they got free coffee. Like it's, right, nobody's mad about that, it's good coffee, I just had some. Invite someone to church with you this week. There is someone in your life that is looking for community, that is looking for acceptance, that is looking for the joy, the hope, the peace, the love that is ever present among the people of God. This week, invite some person. Now, if that is too high a hurdle, and I understand that it might be because maybe the relational capital is not there, whatever it may be, you know your life better than I do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray every day for seven days for one specific person by name in your life to meet Jesus. And then that's a long sentence. Every day, someone specifically, pray for that person for seven days. And look, this is not like a second place runner-up trophy either. I'll be really clear. I'm a fundamental believer in the power of prayer. Because what will happen is that it will begin to move, as we just saw, the heart of God. And also, it will move your heart towards that person. Prayer has this amazing way of not only affecting the surrounding world around us, but also our internal world. And so if inviting someone to church feels like too high a hurdle for whatever reason, totally get it. Pray for one specific person by name for seven days for them to meet Jesus. Now, here's what's really cool. What happens if you do that? I wanna tell you from experience, not just from like, you know, ethereal pastor talk. I wanna tell you from experience. There are people in my life right now that by the utter grace of God in my life that I do not deserve are following and practicing the way of Jesus. And anytime life gets hard, and I think like, man, the Lord, I just don't know if you're moving, I just don't know if this can work, I don't know if you have this power, yada, yada, whatever the doubts that naturally come up in our soul are. I'm reminded quickly of their face. And I'm given new faith again. Because I'm like, well, you did it then. You did it for, for her, you, you did it for him. And then all of a sudden, I have this renewed joy, passion, and fire to continue to love and show the kindness of Jesus to everywhere around me. Like, there's one more, too, that if I, I'll need to pull back, I don't want to be emotional when I say it, but I, I, I said it at the last service, and I almost cried, I just kept it to myself. When the new earth happens, and we're all living in a world without sin. We're all gonna share our story. And there will be people in the new earth that will go, this is how I came to know the kindness of Jesus. Doug led me to them. He didn't save me, but he brought me into the presence of King Jesus and now I am forever loved. Told you I wasn't gonna cry, I can't do that right now. We got things to do. 
This is what awaits you. Look, I already told you, God is at work before you ever get there. It's not on you. But as, we, as he's told us in scriptures, the harvest is plenty. We just need more people out there working. That's the invitation. That's the challenge. Will we take up being in the field of God's amazing harvest? Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I'm so overwhelmed by your goodness right now. Man. Father, I want to start by just thanking you for the people in my life who overcame the fear of rejection and spoke your goodness to me, told me that there was a king that loved me, told me that there was kindness unending that awaited for me. Thank you for that. But I pray right now, Lord, this week we're, we're gonna have an opportunity. I, I believe that you've set that up for your children, that there's opportunities around us all the time and the fear of rejection is gonna come up. I pray you give us the boldness to overcome that. I pray you give us the faith to just show the kindness and goodness of you that we've experienced to those around us. God, I know you're good. I know you will. I know you'll meet us there. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.